What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Africa Carifu. Thank you for joining us today at the Carifu. It's been a minute. I don't know about you, but ever since this year started, it seems like everything is on steroids. Like, wow, what in the world is going on? In today's episode, I would like to talk about what is undoubtedly the most important issue of the day, the coronavirus. I mean, life as we're used to is no longer the same. Stay-at-home orders and lockdowns have been issued by local governments left and right. In the city where I live, I have been at home ever since my spring break from the university. We were asked not to return to campus and all our classes were moved online. In addition to no school, the city even issued a stay-at-home order requiring everyone to shelter in place as a means to reduce the spread of the virus and also lower the curve. In a span of two weeks, our lives drastically changed. Like most of you, when this all started, I was glued to the news media, trying to get in as much information as possible and to be able to understand what the government's response is going to be. As the testings were ramping up and the numbers were trickling in, not only was I concerned about my own safety, but that of my family as well as my friends, which I'm sure you guys were also worried about, your family and your friends. You see, a lot happens when you stay at home. For some, the solitude is a good time to catch up on work, things that have been on their back burner that they haven't had the time to be able to do. For others, it's an opportunity to bond with family. And for others, these stay-at-home orders and this quarantine time has given them the much-needed break from their busy routines. However, there are some people amongst us that this time has not been so easy for them. This is because it has been the struggle for survival. Most of us, especially the immigrants, are greatly affected by this. Because a lot of us work as independent contractors and as a result, our works are now considered non-essential. This has left them with little or no income. Things are no longer the same. Life, as we're told, is hard, but now things are even harder. At first, I thought maybe this virus is one of affluence. Because most of the people who had contracted the virus at the time were folks who had traveled to China or to Italy or to some other European countries. And if this was the case, then maybe Africa is safe, right? Besides, how many people have the means to travel abroad? However, as I pondered long on this idea, the outlook became even dire. Because as you guys all know, most of our African societies are communal. We give hugs and kisses to everyone. We shake hands easily. And, you know, sometimes we also have a lot of questionable hygienes. So it will only need one person. For simplicity's sake, we can use the maid of one of these affluent persons that has traveled 
abroad and has come back to the country and the maid is there tending to them. If this person is infected and thereby infects the maid and the maid then goes into one of our markets or go into the church, we are finished. It will spread like wildfire. And so I was scared. I asked myself the question, are we ready for this? Do we have the medical infrastructure in place to handle a surge in hospitalization? This troubled me for a while. However, like most of you, as the numbers were coming in, I decided to check on some of my friends and family. I picked up the phone and checked in with my grandmother. Like me, she was concerned about the issue and also shared her frustration. She told me she isn't sure how one can live in such isolation and not be able to give handshake or even go to visit a friend or a neighbor. However, she will do her part in following all the safe protocols that have been told to them so as to help lower the curve. This gave me some much needed comfort because I was more worried about her than even myself. Africa is no stranger to outbreaks. We only need to go back a few months and look at the most recent, the Ebola outbreak. The continent was hailed by others for how they were able to swiftly manage the spread. And so one would think that because we are used to these outbreaks, we therefore have a lot of systems in place to be able to handle any future and potential outbreak that might come. However, this is not the case. In this episode, I am not going to focus so much about the political or the economic analysis of the impact of this uh, virus. I will leave that to the news pundits. However, I will focus on what this virus has exposed about Africa and what we can learn and put in place to tackle the next outbreak. These points that I will focus on, I have summarized them into three major ideas or three major points. First lesson here for Africa is the need for development of our healthcare infrastructure. Our leaders for the most part have been very short-sighted on this front and have put very little investment into this sector. We can only wonder why. It is probably for this reason that they have no trust in their own medical system. As a result, they utilize state funds to travel to Europe and to Asia for medical checkups and treatment. Now, in a period such as this, where almost every country on the planet has closed its border, our leaders are now stranded at home because they can no longer go to Europe for their routine checkups and treatment. Because most of them are in their 70s or even older, they have resulted in isolation and hardly ever seen in public. I think their greatest fear is not so much about contracting the virus, but is the lack of trust in the medical infrastructure in their own countries to treat them. So, the lesson here for us, we need good hospitals. And not just good hospitals, we also need to pay our healthcare workers. Because now, more than ever before, we are relying on them for our health and our safety. This moment, I would like to take the opportunity to thank all the healthcare professionals and those that are listening to us right now. You are the real heroes. You've put your life on the line to take care of us. Thank you. The second lesson here for Africa 
is that of pandemic preparedness. Like I said earlier, Africa is no stranger to outbreaks. However, our economies are the most affected by a shutdown. This is because we rely a lot on small and medium-sized businesses. A lot of our people live from hand to mouth. As a result, they have not been able to amass the amount of wealth that is needed to just sit or shelter in place and weather a pandemic like this. Therefore, the consequences of a shutdown like this might be a prolonged hunger strike. Our people might end up dying more from hunger than from even the virus. In addition to this, a pandemic of such global proportion has also exposed to us the weakness and the poor leadership of our African leaders. What do I mean by this? One thing we've learned from this pandemic is that it can spread rapidly. And it's not just the problem of one country. Hence, a coordinated effort across countries and regional blocks is very critical to be able to control the spread of this virus. However, our regional blocks are failing us. Most of them have been silent. At best, they've released statements on the issue. This has left countries to struggle on their own to see how they can lower the curve. The point here is globalization has taken a back seat and nationalism is on the rise. Nation states are now focused on doing everything in their power to see how they can address the pandemic with zero global coordinated effort. Part of this could be because the US, which used to be a leader in this front, has pretty much abandoned this position. It is now struggling to see how it can be able to curb the situation back at home. Because as we all know, the US has taken over and is now the leader in the number of infected cases globally. In Africa, South Africa is struggling to do the same for its own citizens. While the voice of Nigeria, Africa's economic giant, has been mute. So much for Pan-Africanism. My third and final point or lesson here for Africa is investment in research. You know, colloquially we say, put your money where your mouth is. So if we follow the money, we will see where our mouths are. However, when we look around the world, governments have steadily decreased how much money they set aside from their national budget for basic scientific research. On the contrary, countries we've seen significant increase in defense spending and preparation for wars and conflicts that may never happen. This is not to say that investment in defense is necessarily bad, but it shouldn't come at the expense of investing in basic scientific research for the well-being of citizens. Now more than ever before, our researchers have to be hard at work finding solutions not just to this virus that has attacked us now, but also to future outbreaks and pandemics. 
In my home country, Cameroon, I can count on one hand the number of reputable research centers, most of which are still very much underfunded. I know when I brought up the or when I bring up the point of investment in research, some of you might be skeptical. You are skeptical about the type of research that can be done in Africa. I mean, this may be the this may be the thoughts going through your mind, and it could also be the reason why some few weeks back in LinkedIn I saw a post where someone asked the question, what are African scientists doing? You know, when I looked at the question, I thought that it maybe this question was asked just to get some laughter. Because as I scrolled down to see what some of the response of others might have been, I came across one response that I thought was the funniest. Someone asked, do we even have scientists? As funny as it may sound, I think that this is what is going on in the minds of people. But... I want to remind you that researchers, when empowered with the necessary tools and resources, can do a lot to save the country or to mitigate the situation. Case in point is the work of the late Cameroonian doctor, Victor Anomangu, who became famous for inventing a vaccine that can treat HIV and AIDS. Don't take my word for it if you don't believe me. You can go and read up on him. So, with the right tools, there is a lot our researchers can do. We also need more involvement in research from the private sector, especially bio-related research. I know that there are some great startups around the continent trying to do justice, and some are making great strides. In fact, our governments are the ones that are most of the time the problem to this. Some of our governments are so closed off to this idea of public-private partnership because they believe and they think that they own a monopoly of all the good ideas. That every good thing that has to happen to the citizens of the country must come from them. Such practices only slow down the necessary growth and shy away any future potential investor. As much as I love to stay optimistic about all of this, we all know that this cannot happen if we do not have one thing. And that thing is reliable power grid. A quick social media search on NEPA. NEPA, for those of you who don't know, is Nigeria, Africa's largest economic giant power provider. Just go and do a quick search and you will understand the struggle. This issue of reliable power is not only a Nigeria's problem. In fact, our people have been so accustomed to us not having power. Zimbabwe suffers from the same problem. The people are used to going for long stretches of time without electricity and even water. As much as I would like to see the continent's research output double, triple, or even quadruple, the lingering question is, do we have the necessary infrastructure in place to power such innovative endeavors? It is my hope that our leaders are going to take this quarantine time and reflect on their legacy. They will reflect on the legacy they want to leave for their children, for their country, and also for the continent. And that we will come out of this with a better strategy for future outbreaks. To summarize, the three points I just covered are, first, the need for development of a healthcare infrastructure, two, pandemic preparedness, and three, investment in research slash power grid.
Let me know what you think. Are there other lessons here for Africa to learn? If so, let us know and we'll be sure to highlight them here at the Carrefour. Until next time, thank you for joining us at the Carrefour.